0: open. And if you weren't with us last week, we began a new sermon series on Ruth. And I'd like to give a brief recap if you're again, weren't here or if you're unfamiliar with this this story. A famine. The story starts with a famine. And a famine drives a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons out of their homeland of Judah to the neighboring country of Moab. Some 55 miles away. And sometime after their arrival in Moab Elimelech Unexpectedly dies. And this leaves Naomi a widow, a widow in a foreign land. The sudden instability in the family, the family's fortunes, is momentarily resolved by marriage as Naomi's two sons wed two Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. Ten years go by, and ten years later, without any children, Naomi's two sons also die unexpectedly. Naomi herself, a widow, suddenly finds herself now left with two daughter-in-laws who are also widows. And in a culture predominated by men in a distant land far from home, things couldn't be any worse. These three women are penniless and unprotected. Poverty and hardship look to be their only companions. And when Naomi hears that the famine in Judah has ended, she decides to return home. Along the way, she suddenly insists that her two daughters-in-law leave her Leave her for a more promising future. You see, as foreigners, as Moabites declared enemies of Israel, life would be harder, not easier, for her two daughters-in-law in in Judah. And added to this, Naomi shares that she's convinced that she's suffering under God's judgment. And as we left it last week with tears, Orpah kisses her mother-in-law and heads back to Moab. But Ruth, no less despairing, refuses to leave and clings to her mother-in-law. Determined to return with her to Judah. When we looked at this first chapter last week, I I emphasized, I highlighted for us the providence of God. The providence of God is so evident through this tale of decisions and dedication, through this story of trials and testing, through this book of deliverance and redemption. The Bible teaches us, not just in Ruth, but throughout its pages, that God works in the world visibly through signs. ...like the burning bush and the parting of the Red Sea... ...but also invisibly behind the scenes. The Lord, in this story, was the one who brought an end to the famine in Israel. It wasn't luck. It wasn't global warming. It wasn't chance. It was God. It was providence. The providence of God we talked about last week... ...is the Lord working in and through the decisions that we make... ...to bring his ultimate purposes to fulfillment. And as we also looked at last week, we tend to notice God's providence by looking back. When you get that job, when you meet that someone, or when you find yourself standing before an opportunity that you hadn't gone looking for. Others might say it happened by chance. But deep down, you know it was God's gracious doing. The book of Ruth is an amazing story. It's a little story with a big heart that, looking back, carries an even greater significance in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the choices and actions of everyday, ordinary people like you and me, the Lord works behind the scenes to bring the destiny of the whole universe to fruition. This morning, as we continue through the second half of chapter 1, our focus is going to be on the meaning and the significance of commitment. Ruth purposefully chooses to follow the Lord, but her choice not only affects her life and Naomi's life, in a very real sense, as we will see, her choice, her commitment touches your life and mine as well. From Ruth, chapter 1, starting with verse 14. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi. Naomi. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we go through life... There, are, there is so much that we encounter, so many possibilities around us, so many things coming at us, that we can't fully take in all that is often before us. We have to make choices, decisions, every minute, every day of our lives. We have to commit to a certain direction, a particular relationship, a specific action, this task, that school, this relationship, that job, this move, that event. In many ways, our lives are the experience of our choices, the summation of our commitments. And even within our decisions, there are different levels of commitment by which we engage the opportunities and relationships that are before us. We have to prioritize. There is a hierarchy. What we value, where we place our trust, becomes most evident by how we prioritize our commitments. The amount of time, the amount of resources, the amount of energy, the amount of focus, the amount of presence that we give to the people and circumstances of our life. Honesty is the first half of making a commitment. Lots of people, many people, are afraid, fail when it comes to being committed because they were not willing to tell, they were not willing to face the truth of their circumstances. Being in denial, lying, makes real commitment impossible. Being honest about what you want. Being honest about what you believe, being honest about what you are willing to do... ...is the response upon which the foundation of commitment to something or someone is built. And contrary to maybe how we hear this story or if we've ever looked at it before... ...I want to suggest to you this morning that Naomi is a model of this kind of honesty. Maybe it's the years of grief, of famine that have taken their toll upon her... But she tells the truth. She is brutally honest about her perception of where things stand, about her belief about where things are headed. As she arrives back home, a place that she left as Naomi, her name meaning the lovely, the pleasant one. As she comes back home to a place that she left as a robust woman in her prime, she tells her dear friends to call her Mara a name which means bitter. Her new name reflects how she now sees herself as a haggard, destitute old woman. Her response to the talk of the town, the buzz, can this be Naomi, is to vent her frustration with the Lord. I left here full, but God brought me back empty. He afflicted me. He brought misfortune upon me. He made my life bitter. Some may want to criticize Naomi for her brutal honesty. Perceiving it as just adding fuel to the fire. But beloved, what I say to you this morning is this. Note well where Naomi's truth telling leads her. By letting go of her expectations. By releasing her preconceived notions about how life is supposed to work. Naomi clings all the more to God. She goes home. Naomi goes back to the covenant community built around the God of Israel. When Naomi hears that God has visited his people, she returns. Yes, she's doubtful of God's good feelings toward her. Yes, she feels hurt by her circumstances. Yes, she is bitter and angry. But she acknowledges and does not deny. She even appeals to the Lord's presence in the midst of her situation. And Naomi returns home. Telling the truth is the starting point of making a commitment. Even when that truth is a truth that's a bitter pill for us to swallow. But being honest about where you are only takes you so far. It only takes you far enough to decide whether you will face, whether you will keep going, whether you will stay true in the face of the unknown. A great example of this in our daily lives, in our our world today, is to look at the example of marriage. Committing yourself to love another person begins with being honest about who you are and what your intentions are. This is why that the traditional wedding ceremony has the pledge. Do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? And you know and, and the pledge part has and it's been lost now in modern weddings that used to include that part that's always used in movies and TV shows. If anyone knows any reason why this couple should not be married, please speak now or forever hold your peace. I never get to say that anymore. It's like my favorite part. <laughs> the drama. No one wants that anymore. But it used to be in a wedding Because the pledge, the start of a wedding, was the honesty of the commitment. The reason why that was asked was, are they being married under duress? Are they being being honest in their reasons for coming together and saying that they want to spend the rest of their lives together? Do you pledge yourself to each other? Honesty is the starting point of making a commitment. But the centerpiece of the wedding ceremony is the taking of vows. This is the moment when each person specifically states his or her devotion to the other person. And it ends with, till death do we part. Real commitment starts with being honest, but it is giving oneself over to the other person, vowing to go the distance with that person that makes one's commitment complete. Ruth doesn't just cling to Naomi. She openly and willingly binds herself to her mother-in-law. The poetic and courageous words that Ruth speaks aloud here, ironically, are the same words heard today at many weddings. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth utters one of the loftiest expressions of commitment in all of Scripture. She could have chosen a different life. Ruth could have chosen a different life. As her sister-in-law heads back down the street, down the road to Moab... ...Ruth could have gone with her. Her mother-in-law all but ordered her to follow Orpah. Appealing to Ruth's national and religious roots... ...Naomi implores her to choose her own people... ...her own gods and to make a fresh start in her own land. And let's be honest, it was the logical choice... Some of us, if we were there, might even even have called it the smart choice. Practically speaking, Ruth wasn't choosing a better future. She was trading a sure thing, stability for uncertainty. I mean, she had food in Moab. Her prospects of finding another husband and having children who could look after her in her old age were ten times better in Moab than living as a foreigner in Judah. Ruth had what we would call an out. A justifiable means for taking a pass. For playing it safe. Naomi's pressuring her to break up their relationship gave Ruth the perfect excuse for looking for the exit door. And yet as her sister-in-law, Orpah, slowly recedes into the distance, Ruth demonstrates radical self-sacrifice. Rather than abandon her bitter mother-in-law, she abandons every base of security that any human being would have clung onto, ...let alone a poor, vulnerable, foreign widow. A familiar neighborhood. People you know. The faith by which you were raised. Ruth had no idea of the outcome of her decision. Yet she chose to stay committed to Naomi. If Naomi is a model of the honesty that begins a commitment, Ruth is a model of the kind of devotion that defines true commitment. And in case there's some of us, and you know who you are, who are a little, still a little bit cynical about all this, you know, maybe we're quick to think to ourselves, okay, yeah, Ruth's decision here isn't all that impressive. I mean, Ruth is young. Naomi is old. How much of a commitment is she really making to her mother-in-law? What, a couple of years? A decade? Once Naomi dies, Ruth can go back home, can't she? And if that is a thought that you just have in the very recesses of your mind or it's at the forefront, these kind of thoughts, again, are indicative, aren't they, of how many of us often approach commitment in our own lives. We look for the loopholes. We look for the escape clause. Anything that can lessen the sacrifice that we have to make. Whereas we often grasp for the bare minimum, Ruth clings to Naomi beyond the grave. You heard it. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Ruth's commitment to Naomi is anything but short-term or temporary. Her devotion is not even just lifelong. It's not just within her mother-in-law's own lifetime. She says, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. And Ruth will back up this commitment as the story continues. Her devotion through words will be worked out by her actions. Ruth means what she says... ...when she declares that she adopts Naomi's family and God as her own. She will travel and live wherever Naomi goes. As Naomi remains poor, Ruth will remain poor. She will leave behind her old way of life... ...and will transfer her allegiance from her people to Naomi's people. Ruth declares her faith in the Lord... ...when she says, your God is my God. And her conversion, I believe, is evidenced by her commitment. ...either she goes back to Moab and worships many different gods... ...or she goes with Naomi to Bethlehem and worships the one true God, Yahweh. My brothers and sisters in Christ, Ruth is a woman of faith. She dedicates herself to Naomi's God... ...and that becomes clear that that dedication is sincere... ...through her repeated acknowledgement, even before she takes her next step... ...her repeated acknowledgement of God's presence that he's a witness to the promise that she's making. And again, all of this is even though she has no guarantee that she'll have needs of food, clothing, and shelter met by going to Judah, Ruth steps out in faith, in trust of the Lord, and goes with Naomi. You know, if you really stop and think about it, and this is such a little story in the scope of the whole of the Old Testament, but if you really stop and think about it, Ruth's decision, her commitment here is even greater, I think, than the man who back then would have been considered the father of Israel's faith. Abraham. Unlike Abraham, she has no divine promise in hand. She has no divine blessing pronounced, no spouse or possessions to take with her as she follows the Lord through Naomi. Beloved, this is why Ruth's statement of faith is one of the most precious statements that we have in the whole of the Bible. It leaves, in fact, in the moment, Naomi speechless. She doesn't have anything left to say. What do you say? Because by her words and her actions, Ruth becomes for us a wonderful example of what it means to be a part of God's covenant. Commitment is the very essence of what covenant is about. We bind ourselves to the Lord because in grace he has bound himself to us. It is by faith through grace that we are saved by Jesus Christ. The gift of salvation is offered to all, but we have to make the choice, the commitment to cling to, to devote ourselves to this God. Beloved, the kind of friendship and trust, the kind of devotion and dedication and fidelity that exists here between Ruth and Naomi is the kind of friendship, trust... ...commitment and devotion that God wants from us... ...that God expects from us... ...that God offers to us. Through the grace of Jesus Christ... ...God has offered us adoption into his family. The treasure of a clean slate, a fresh start... ...and the inheritance of eternal life. But there is only one kind of commitment... ...by which we can cling to such a destiny. The wholehearted dedication of our lives... What is the greatest commandment, Jesus was once asked. In other words, what is the ultimate principle, the number one rule for living well? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. The entirety of the law can be summarized by this, Jesus said. If we are going to become committed to Jesus, then we all need to exercise the devotion that Ruth displays here. As disciples of Jesus, our call to devotion to him is no less. And in fact, it's far greater than Ruth's towards Naomi's. In following Jesus, are we willing to give up our past? Are we willing to leave our family and our friends and our culture and our gods in order to be committed to him? And more significantly, to be committed to his people. It's a question worth pausing at. Jesus often highlighted the bittersweet cost of following him. Die to yourself. Live again through me and devote your life to me toward others. Again and again, Jesus emphasized that the integrity of our commitments will be reflected by our priorities and our actions. At the end of the day, the choice is clear. Either Christ or something else will be our first love, but not both. ...to exercise the gift of grace, to live out of this gift... ...it has to be our number one commitment. To share such a relationship of love, forgiveness, peace and joy with this God... ...He has to be our first love. We have to be devoted to Him through sharing that love... ...that forgiveness, that joy and that peace with each other. Because the other part that we see here with Ruth... ...is that we don't exercise this commitment in isolation. Ruth commits herself not only to Naomi... ...but also to Naomi's God and her people. Yahweh's covenant, his commitment is not merely with individuals... ...it's with a community. Therefore, our devotion is not just to the Lord... ...but it is also to the Lord through our commitment to each other. Christ doesn't save us as individuals. Jesus doesn't call us as lone disciples. He makes us part of his body. He builds a church. It is together and not alone that we submit to him as Lord. It is together that we cling to each other to become part of the community of the kingdom. A people of resurrection. The living and breathing witnesses of his love. This kind of commitment to God and each other is what the sacrament of baptism is all about. We are saying yes to Jesus' offer of salvation. We are devoting ourselves to following Jesus all of our lives and beyond. But we are also binding ourselves to a newer, bigger, wider family of people. Identifying ourselves with them just as in marriage, in sickness, and in health. I don't know if you're hearing me this morning, but if you are, this is why you can't walk away from the church. That's why you can't follow Jesus without attaching yourself to other Christians. And more and more, there's a growing belief in our world. In fact, if you get Newsweek, Newsweek magazine two weeks ago had right on the cover, follow Jesus, not the church. It's not possible. It's not possible. And anyone who tells you differently is not preaching the word of God. True commitment is evidenced not just by what we say. It's evidenced more by what happens when that commitment is tested. You've heard me say this before, but young couples when they're getting married, you may have even said this to a young couple, they don't even know what they're committing to. They have no idea. Give me 10 years and then come back and tell me, yes. Give me 20, give me 30, 40, 50. You don't know what you're committed to until that commitment is tested. Our salvation becomes apparent, not simply by, through a profession of faith in Jesus. And this is why our evangelism is suffering. Because we somewhere along the way said if we say it, we're done. And, and there's truth in that, but there's a lot of untruth in that. Our salvation is not just simply a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. No, and scripture is clear on this, our relationship with God is reflected by the actions that emerge out of the faith that he has placed in us. Good deeds don't save us. Amen. By grace alone we are saved. Good deeds don't save us. But good deeds, acts of love, forgiveness, peace, and grace are the inevitable proof of a life that has been saved. What makes such deeds good is the sacrifice, the commitment reflected in and through them. That is why in speaking of commitment, the cost of being devoted to him, Jesus talks of loving our enemies of forgiving those who persecute us, of taking up our cross and following him. That is why, as we see through Naomi and Ruth, real commitment is often bittersweet. Because deciding to follow Jesus will cost us something. You have to let go of something in order to cling on to something or someone else. Or as Jesus puts it, you cannot serve two masters. The truth is, beloved, every day we have to decide between our commitment to Christ and something else. Money, success, power, reputation, security, stability, pleasure, adoration. If facing the truth is sometimes bitter, this truth, if facing this truth is sometimes bitter, the fruit that is experienced in the face of this truth is sweet. We cannot have it all apart from Jesus. But if we cling to Jesus, everything we'll, we need will be ours through him. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So this morning I'm asking you to think about your commitments. This morning I'm asking you to take a moment and to be introspective and to think ...about your commitments, are you being honest about where things stand in your life? About where you are, about whose you are, where your devotion lies? Or are you this morning, have you for weeks, maybe months, maybe years... ...have you just been going through the motions... Have you just been playing games? Have you just been trying to convince yourself of something... ...rather than facing how things truly are? Naomi is honest. Brutally honest. And that brutal honesty, you may think, keeps her away from God... ...but it's the very thing that draws her back to God. So beloved, whether you're trying to be something that you're not... ...or whether you're trying to prove yourself to someone else... ...or whether deep down you're not happy with how things are or where you are... Be honest this morning. Whether you're running from God or going through the motions... ...your response, your commitment to God is impossible... ...without telling the truth. What do you believe? What do you believe? Not what you say in church. Not what you say in groups together. And if it's the same, God bless you. But you know who I'm talking about. What do you believe... How do you see yourself and this God? Where are your priorities? To whom or what are you committed to? Because before you, before us, is a God who hears and speaks to us. Who is working in our lives even when we cannot perceive his presence. Before us is a God who does not abandon us. Even when we reject or forsake him. He pursues us in a wholehearted commitment. Such devotion carries a cost, but it's a sacrifice that this God is willing to pay to hold on to us. This God in Jesus Christ exchanges the bitterness of our sin for the sweetness of his grace. Beloved, when we cling to Christ in faith, we are gaining a whole new future. We may not always know what tomorrow may bring, but committing ourselves to Christ is embracing a whole new future. We have no idea where God will take us, how we will be changed, or when and where we will eventually die. But we can know and we do believe that what we gain will be eternal. With Jesus, faith, hope, and love endure forever. And today on a day in which we remember and mourn Pastor Paul, that is his legacy. It wasn't just a funny expression that makes us smile. When he said ...things were fantastic, he meant it because that's how he saw his life and the world in which he lived. And he saw his life that way because he saw his life from an eternal perspective. He saw your life, this church's life, this community that we serve, this nation that we're a part of... ...this world from an eternal perspective... I want us together to see the same thing that he saw. I want us together to see in Ruth's life a reflection of our own life with Jesus. Though she was born a Moabite, a Gentile, her faithfulness led her to a greater inheritance... She inherited a family by marriage and her commitment to her inheritance was real. She clung on to that which was good and neither circumstances that were past nor in future hindered her from laying hold of that which was more precious. Ruth was someone who clung to her destiny. She held on to Naomi. And for 60 years, 60 years, Pastor Paul held on to us and so many others. He held on to us and was able to do so because he knew... ...that Jesus was holding on to him. Beloved, beloved, as foreigners, as outsiders like Ruth... ...let us, like Ruth... ...in memory of Pastor Paul... ...let us cling to our own destiny in Christ. Through the waters of baptism... ...many of which you experienced through Pastor Paul... ...through the table of our communion... ...let us commit ourselves anew to this God in Christ... ...this God in Christ who refuses to let us go in the context of a world of suffering, maybe even in the bitterness and pain of our own lives, let us acknowledge with joy the grace of God that is ours in Jesus. Let us recognize that long before Ruth speaks these beautiful words of commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi, God declares such devotion when he forges a covenant with us. We who were once not a people are now adopted sons and daughters of this God. So like Ruth this morning, let us seek redemption from our brokenness by binding ourselves to this God and to each other one more time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Speaking of providence, coming into this week's service... uh